Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday, and we're so glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis await our fellow conservatives. And Jim, there's certainly a possible negative tinge to this good one, but I think it's good that people are finally standing up. And in this case, it's the Oregon State Police. We have uh, a report from KOIN-TV. The reporter is Lisa Balick. And basically, the Oregon State Police is fed up with the prosecutor in Portland. The DA's name is Mike Schmidt. And basically, a lot of people are getting arrested for these violent protests, and Schmidt has decided he's not going to prosecute any of them. So, uh, quote, the Oregon State Police is continually reassessing our resources and the needs of our partner agencies. And at this time, We are inclined to move those resources back to counties where prosecution of criminal conduct is still a priority. Asked if Oregon State Police troopers would be pulling out of Portland immediately, officials told KOIN 6 News the answer is yes. There is a growing concern by law enforcement that protest violence in Portland may escalate now that Schmidt has said he will not pursue cases against those arrested for interfering with police criminal trespass, and disorderly conduct if they don't involve deliberate property damage, theft, or force. And the police are saying in this story, Jim, those are the people we're arresting, and you still won't prosecute them. Now, the downside here is that the state police were brought in to replace the feds who were protecting the courthouse. So if they leave, not sure who fills that role. But finally, people are stepping up and telling these woke DAs, crimes are being committed, do your job. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things jump to mind here, Greg, but one of the first things is that somewhere out there, I would bet, one of the all-time most excellent Philadelphia Phillies is out there looking at this and saying, why does this DA need to be named Mike Schmidt? (laughs) The small demographic of old-timey baseball fans out there are like, yes, yes, absolutely. They get that joke. Um, So this this is excerpt from the message from the Oregon State Police that just kind of jumped out at me. Quote, the situation on the street is incredibly volatile with a really committed group of Antifa slash anarchists starting fires, damaging property, and assaulting police slash community members. They may feel even more emboldened if there is a public statement that appears to minimize their activities. Now, this guy, I have no indication that the, uh, this is Multnomah County Sheriff Mike Reese. I have no indication that Mike Reese hallucinates these things. I have no indication to think that he is a nervous Nelly who overreacts to everything. If he is seeing this and this is what he's assessing, I think there's a pretty good chance of it. I think he's right because there's also lots of video of people doing these sorts of things. So if you're a district attorney and you basically are saying, I'm not interested in prosecuting the law anymore. Well, besides the fact that local officials should say, okay, you're now derelict in your duties and we should replace you. Uh, and this is a situation you may not be able to wait for a you know, the next election, if this is an elected position or or something like that. I think this also illustrates the usefulness of living in a country where, you know, not only is there the value of federalism and the idea that certain powers should be entrusted to the states, certain powers should be entrusted to your your county government, your local government. Um, We often defend federalism in this concept of government because it's a lot easier to get the attention of your city council, your mayor, uh, maybe your local school board, than it is to get attention of uh, your, you know, the county level, to get attention of your governor, to get attention of the president of the United States. There are certain things that have to be done at the local level. And thankfully, my, you know, very broadly speaking, I think most people on the right would believe the government closest to the people 
generally does the best job or is most responsive to their needs, most responsive to conditions on the ground. There are exceptions. And I think one of the things those of us who are defenders of federalism have to acknowledge is that every once in a while, you're going to get a really bad local official. You're going to get a bad mayor, idiots on a town council, idiots on a city council, uh, schmucks on a board of education, and they're going to make bad decisions. And, you know, some people might say, well, you know what, that's federalism, you got to let them do it. And a lot of people, some people might say, well, wait a second, if we allow them to go forward with these terrible ideas, they will ruin our town, they will ruin our community, people who can afford it will move out, and who will just say, the heck with this, I don't want to live here anymore. They will vote with their feet, and that'll leave the people who are helpless and can't afford to move out, the people who don't want to move out because this is their home, and maybe they've spent their lives there, and maybe they've been in that town for generations, and they don't necessarily want to change. A lot of people might argue that's what's happening in a bunch of cities across the country. Portland is obviously a big example. People might point to Seattle, might point to Chicago, might point to New York City right now. When you have a local official who basically decide, yeah, we haven't changed the laws, we just decided we're not going to enforce them anymore. Well, it's good to have state police. It's good to have other authorities who can come in and say, ah, sorry, you can't suddenly declare rioting is legal. You can't have a, a, reason, a, a sudden decision that says, you know what, this law is on the books, we have a process for removing this law on the books, but we're not going to go through that whole process. We're just going to have a, you know, almost a prosecutor's veto in which we'll make the decision to not enforce this. Uh, almost like the, uh, the, you know, the equivalent of DACA or uh, DAPA, I, the president, have decided we're not going to enforce these immigration laws anymore. Um, look, these laws are on the books. If you want to veto them, we have a process to get rid of this. So, look, I have no idea how this is going to shake out in Portland. It is good to see the Oregon State Police taking this stance. It is good to see, I'm sure... They would prefer to handle this behind the scenes. And I see the indication of some of these communications and emails that have been obtained by uh, KOIN, the local news station out there, indicate they did try to handle this behind the scenes. And when local prosecutors went forward with this and refused to enforce the law, now it's going public, now it's creating a stink, and hopefully it'll be a step in the right direction towards getting a return to the enforcement of the laws on the books in a fair and just way uh, that will, you know, uh, bring law and order and, and, you know, some sense of peace back to the streets of Portland, Oregon. Mike Reese is the sheriff, as you mentioned, Jim. Apparently in Multnomah County, Oregon, it's a nonpartisan office, which is unlike uh, where we live and, and other places around the country. He's also up for re-election this year, so it'll be very interesting to see if the rabble-rousers have their way, and I'm, I'm sure don't like him very much since he wants to see them prosecuted and run him out of office, or whether the quote-unquote silent majority out there, if there is one, decides to reelect him because finally he among the state police are, are actually saying something about this. People turn into a referendum on is rioting legal or not. And I know what side I'm people, on. <laughs> if the people of Portland vote that way, okay, you get what you deserve then, right? I mean, you know, if you will not take the action of defending yourself and your property and the, you know, your, your neighbors, your community and the property of, the, of your neighbors and your community, well then I hate to say it. I think maybe at that point you deserve what you get. So it's up to you, Portland. Balls in your hands. Jim, we've got some symmetry today. Our first and our last martinis are kind of selective enforcement, and our middle martini is mandatory for everyone. So let's move to that one. That's our uh, bad martini. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris yesterday talking about the coronavirus. They held a kind of awkwardly staged coronavirus briefing with each of them at tables six feet apart and masks and all that. Uh, sort of thing with uh, video briefings from experts. Uh, then they decided to, to head to the podium, and uh, Biden has decided that everybody, unless you're in your house, needs to be wearing a mask at all times. Take a listen to this. Every single American 
should be wearing a mask when they're outside for the next three months at a minimum. Every governor should mandate, every governor should mandate mandatory mask wearing. The estimates by the experts are it will save over 40,000 lives in the next three months. 40,000 lives. The people act responsibly. And uh, it's not about your rights. It's about your responsibilities as an American. So, Jim, a couple of curious things there. First of all, whatever happened to wear a mask if social distancing is not appropriate? So if I'm just out working in my yard or on a walk with no one near me, I still have to wear a mask. That flies in the face of everything we've heard. Also, he says for three months. That's curious. So he wants everybody masked up until the election, essentially. And then, of course, at the very end of that clip, he says, this isn't about your rights. It's about your responsibility. And I think most of us feel like we do have a responsibility, particularly when we're in close contact with people to wear a mask. But the idea that we're going to pasha on rights at the same time should, uh, should worry some folks. It worries me. Yeah. So the first thing is, if you're going to make that, if you, that's, you know, that, that decree, that ruling, this argument uh, that everyone should wear a mask, like I said, the three-month deadline makes no sense because we don't know what the situation is going to be like two months from now. We don't know what the situation, you know, a lot of people worry that with winter coming, it's going to be worse. But if the issue is winter, if, if the issue is uh, the concurrent, uh, you know, traditional winter flu virus, winter colds and stuff like that, well, then there would be no need to stop it. Let's see, it's uh, middle of August, that'd be middle of September, middle of October, middle of November. I wonder what happens in November that'd be a, a particular mindset to Joe Biden, who's running for president of the United States, you know. By the way, if we're lucky, we'll have the winner of the election by middle of November. It sounds like with the counting of the mail-in ballots, it will not be uh, uh, known on election night, although we'll see how that shakes out. So obviously, look, this looks like America, you need to wear masks until I'm president. And then I get to announce that, you know, uh, I'm not, even though, of course, he doesn't take office until January 20th. But I think the, what, what he gets at here, it actually kind of just kind of glides past is an argument you've seen happening in a lot of circles, Republican and Democratic. And I was uh, talking to a bunch of conservative writers recently. And there, there's this near universal sense amongst this group, yeah, you know, you should wear a mask, you know, put it on. Um, I know it's not always comfortable, but you generally you're not running a decathlon. No, you don't have to wear it when you're outside by yourself or with members of your household. Um, yes, you can slip it down if you're eating something or something like that. It's, it's, a, it's a, almost a courtesy. It's a way of putting everybody else at ease. Generally, the sense is that masks work, although I'd emphasize they work if they're above your nose. If they're below your nose and your nose is sticking out, it's not going to work. And I'd like to specialize this to a waiter at my restaurant down in Beaufort. But what's more is, all right, so let's say somebody doesn't do it. What do you want to do about it? And, you know, the numerous establishments, restaurants, stores, uh, uh, bar, restaurant, you know, people have said, you know, please stop berating our staff for attempting to enforce a law that has been put upon us by uh, state authorities, county authorities, et cetera, et cetera. And by and large, don't yell at your waiter for asking you to wear a mask. Yell at your waiter for the fact that his mask is below his nose. That's, that's, that's my rule of thumb. Um, when is a law worth enforcing? You and I had some fun and, uh, you know, uh, observing the uh, if you're gathering in groups of more than three in Arlington County, they're going to, you know, give you a hundred dollar fine each. Um, I'm just thinking about, do you realize that, that comes out to eight hundred dollars for Dick Van Patten, doesn't it, Greg? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
doing the math there in my head. God help you if you're in the uh, uh, the Modern Family or or any of these other groups of uh, of ours. You know, this idea of okay, so somebody says they don't want to wear a mask. What do you want to do? Well, the business establishment can say, please leave my establishment. It is private property. They, you know, the old saying, no shirt, no shoes, no service. They have the right to enforce health codes and make, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't have a public right. There is no constitutional right to stand in a McDonald's or wherever you happen to be. The next question of how much do you want the law involved? How much do you want uh, state authorities, the cops, uh, to do this? Particularly since, you know, just the process of writing up a ticket Unless the cop's going to send it to you in the form of a paper airplane, that cop's going to have to come within six feet of you to give you the ticket for this. And of course, in light of our other martini about the, the de facto declaration that rioting and public property damage is just not a crime anymore in, in Portland, uh, it looks really ridiculous to say we're going to criminalize not wearing a mask, we're going to throw the book at you, when in fact we basically have much worse crimes going on that are being ignored by authorities. Um, I think a lot of good, a lot of conservatives who are bright and smart are having good faith disagreements about that because people really want to see this rule enforced, but they understandably say, you know, I don't really like the idea of the cops either writing you a ticket or slapping a uh, handcuffs on you. Back when, the beginning of all this, when Hoboken started to try to enforce a, uh, a curfew, and a lot of us scoffed and pointed out, hey guys, you know the virus works at night too. Um, the idea, or the, you know, is, is the, the argument there was not that they really wanted to arrest people and that this was not some sort of police state authoritarian curfew where if you're on the streets at a certain hour, we, we bust you. It basically was one more excuse for the cops to, to say, it's not like there are groups of people congregating outside of bars and restaurants. It was a way for the cops to say, hey, you're really supposed to head home. Come on, get, get moving, guys. And that they did not envision themselves writing a lot of tickets because of this. Uh, now, look, if you give the cop a lot of guff and you, you refuse to comply and all that stuff, well, then you can be in that and get in trouble. Because in most jurisdictions, there is something on the books that says failure to obey a lawful order. Now, people might hear that and think, wait a second, are you saying cops can give people orders and if they don't obey, then, uh, uh, then they, you know, they can be facing criminal charges? What kind of a, a fascist state are we turning into? Well, usually it means like, you know, uh, if there's a car accident and the cop is responding to it and you start, you know, messing around with it or a crime scene, they can say, sir, please, please step back over there. If you refuse to step back over there when a cop tells you to do it, then you're violating a lawful order. And that's, you know, it is not just anything the cop says in any given moment. It is an instruction designed to help with the enforcement of law. Uh, enforcement of a, of a, you know, it, so you can imagine a scenario where in a really extreme case, maybe somebody, you know, requires something like that. But at minimum, you should get a warning. And at minimum, cops should, have, should not be uh, chomping at the bit to enforce this law. Biden didn't get into any of this. Biden didn't touch any of this. Biden just basically made this assertion. And I guess it's up to everybody else to figure out where this is. It is not surprising that a lot of people, when they're already cranky, when they're already stressed, when they're already dealing with these really tough you know, set of circumstances brought on by the pandemic, don't like the idea of the cops having one new way to tell them to do things and that they will punish them if they don't obey those things. And oh, by the way, we have had a bit of a controversy in this country this year about whether cops are enforcing the law equally and treating citizens with the respect and uh, uh, respecting their rights as they should. It just strikes me that uh, the major party candidate for president of the United States shouldn't begin the convention season and, and, and beyond by being a nag on masks. And if you wanted nagging to be your number one priority for the rest of the campaign, you should have picked Warren. 
But if you want to lock people up, then Harris is probably the right choice. Greg, I just want to point out that by calling Joe, Joe Biden a nag, you are being sexist. <laughs> Why are you saying that he's this feminine stereotype? Can't a woman like Joe Biden just say whatever he wants without be, being subjected to sexist? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Here's, here's the other thing that I think was uh, kind of slid in there. He says, you know, we can save 40,000 lives. So assuming every state doesn't obey him here, which is clearly going to be the case, uh, he's going to be able to show up at those debates and go, there's thousands of people who would have been who are dead now who didn't have to be because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And so that's going to be his argument. I would tell people if you if you're really, you know, uh, hearts and flowers about Joe Biden, which is a demographic not likely to overlap a great deal with much of our listenership, but take a look at Joe Biden's proposal for the coronavirus and, and the pandemic plan. It's, there's very little in it that I object to. I do note that most of it is very generic. You know, he's talking about the, the importance of keeping uh, Dr. Fauci on board. Okay, good. I agree with that. Fauci's still there. <laughs> No, uh, I'm sure, yes, a Biden White House would probably not circulate talking points against Fauci at all the times he's been wrong. The president has said a lot of things about the coronavirus that I don't like, that have been wrong, that have been misleading. Uh, it's going to fade away someday. It's going to disappear, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at what Biden would do differently, it's not that much. It's, it's very generic. You know, I would unite the best. I, okay, all right. You know, the whole experts are meeting. The whole experts, the, the, the actual what the Biden administration would be doing different in policy is really not that different. And so it's, it'd just be, I would, I would talk about this virus differently than Donald Trump. And give him credit for that, I guess. Let's also not pretend that, you know, you elect Joe Biden and, you know, presto changeo, you've suddenly got a vaccine and everything's going to be hunky-dory. In fact, you know, there's every now and then Biden makes comments that indicate that he thinks that this warp speed project being developed by the White House is uh, going ahead in an unsafe manner and not, you know, skipping over FDA reviews and all that stuff. There's no indication to this. Uh, Redfield, who I keep calling Robert Redford, um, and Fauci and everybody else, they're all, they're all basically saying, no, no, everything involved in this is fine. We're not going to rush out a vaccine that we don't know is safe or that could have terrible side effects, et cetera. But Joe Biden seems to think this must be rushed because it's being done by the Trump administration. So in theory, you can make the argument that electing Biden probably slows the arrival of the uh, uh, vaccine to our shores. I don't think it's necessarily the case, but certainly Biden seems to think the process is being rushed and he doesn't have vaccine any, you know, really uh, compelling evidence of that. But that's uh, that's the narrative and he's going to stick to it. We're going to bring the best people together. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, good. you know, as if anybody runs on, I will bring together the worst. All right, on to our crazy martini and kind of maddening martini, Jim. Uh, next month, of course, is September, and that means uh, it's time for the solemn anniversary of September 11th. This year would mark 19 years, and it still will mark 19 years, since the horrific terrorist attacks. But uh, this year, the commemoration is going to be quite a bit more subdued. Uh, we've already known about the cancellation of the gathering there, where the name of every person killed on that horrific day uh, is listed. Uh, but now, the lights aren't even going to go up. You know those two giant blue lights that shoot up into the sky, reminiscent of the, of the two World Trade Center towers there. And the reason, of course, is COVID. So, Jim, the reason for this is because apparently it takes a couple of weeks to get all the lighting gear set up. It's about a 40-person crew, and people are worried that COVID is going to spread. 
for some reason, we can have the mass gatherings, but we can't have the crew put up the lights to commemorate 9-11. It's just another maddening double standard from New York, New York City. I'm not even sure which person's directly responsible for this, but uh, probably de Blasio. And uh, shame. Never forget for, you know, 18 years. And at that point, yeah, we don't have to do it. You know, I don't live up in New York. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily was the sort of thing that brought out large crowds, but we've already seen this brings out large crowds for all the George Floyd protests. And we've seen large crowds gathering in all kinds of events for New York City for the last couple of weeks. You can argue whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. Um, but I think you know, when you have that many people living that close together, crowds are going to form, you know, in the normal times, crowds form in New York City, you know, street corners when the when the light says don't walk. Uh, you know, keeping people six feet apart in the island of Manhattan is just going to be difficult. The idea that, you know, this is a dumb era. It, it, my, I have a corner post. It's all about all the, this mentality of people who believe, quoting Rahm Emanuel, the beginning of the Obama administration, never waste a crisis. I got to correct listeners because I know everybody right now is saying, wait a second, I remember this. No, the slogan of the Obama administration was never solve a crisis. <laughs> um, that's not quite the case. Although I think if you are, your attitude towards every crisis is, aha, this is an opportunity for me to get something I've always wanted. I can use this, you know, then you end up not solving crises because you're always seeing these crises as things to uh, exploit to get your pre-existing political goals. I don't know if there's somebody in the New York city government who hated those lights and who hated the 9-11 com uh, commemoration. I hope those people don't exist. But you'd like to think that people in New York City would look at this and say, wow, you know, the pandemic's really terrible. We really want to reduce the spread. We really got hit hard in the spring. But there's got to be some way we can make two lights go up in the sky. That has been such a key part of how we remember and this giant important symbol of the spirit of New York. There's got to be some way we can do this, you know, and keep it going and not have to say because of this pandemic, we're going to look, we're trying to play pro football. The Yankees and Mets are playing. Uh, I would say the, 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 the quality of the Knicks has not changed since the pandemic started. I'll put it that way. Uh, sorry, Knicks fans out there. You know, everybody else is trying to figure out some way to keep what's important in their life going during this pandemic. They can't get two lights in the sky? Really? They, they can't do that? It's, it's you know, utterly ridiculous. And you have this sneaking suspicion this is somebody who is always bothered by it. I don't know if they associate it with George W. Bush. I don't know if they think they associate it with patriotism and jingo. For whatever reason, people don't seem, you know, there's somebody out there who doesn't want to think this is important enough to try to continue. And it sticks in my craw. And I think it's very symbolic uh, of what New York City has become under Bill de Blasio. I think you're putting your finger pretty close to at least part of this. I, I'm not going to ascribe it to any particular person, but I think we've seen this over the years with the commemoration. The remembrance of what happened that day has been, has been sanitized to some extent because people think it's somehow uh, xenophobic or what have you to point out that Islamic extremists attacked this country with four different airliners, two of them in New York City that day. That's what happened that day. If you want to ignore that, you can try, but those are the facts, and 19 years later, they haven't changed. Yeah, the only other thing I would jump in there, Greg, is if they'd said, you know, because we're worried about crowds gathering, we're going to do the lights on two barges out in the East River. Fine. If you want to say we're going to do it from two lights, spotlights mounted on the top of the Freedom Tower, fine. If you say that because of the circumstances of the pandemic, you have to change something. All right, okay, look, we're, we're in extraordinary times. I, I grant that. But when you don't make the effort, 
that says to me you had some you that deep down there was some part of you that didn't want to do this and you are seizing on this pandemic which by the way it's been around and been hitting us hard since march you'd argue it arrived in the united states it arrived in the united states in january this should didn't come out of nowhere right we are not suddenly you know in a circumstance where something you've had months and months to prepare for this and oh by the way it's now you know close to a little less than a month away you have time to try to figure out some solution and at this point new york city is saying no we're not even going to try to find a workaround. It's off. Sorry, everybody. The anniversary is canceled this year. Isn't the whole point of the blue lights that you can see them from anywhere in the city? So you don't actually have to gather? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the explanation just doesn't make sense. But uh, we will not be forgetting. Jim, have a great weekend, and we will see you again on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. If you're so inclined, we'd be very grateful for a kind review and a five-star rating. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.